Happy 2020. I want to say thank you for joining us today to listen to our messages online. I'm Kevin, the lead pastor here at Thrive, and you've joined us in a series studying the character named Nehemiah. And we're looking at this. How do you rebuild the walls of your life? Because all of us this year are looking for areas that we want to rebuild. So I hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you haven't, download our app. You can get all of our content there. And make sure to visit www.thrivechurch.me for any messages and any other information about our church. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? Happy New Year. Uh, if you're new with us, uh, also today after our 1030 experience, I know you're here at the 9 experience, so maybe you get brunch and want to come back. But um, at, after the 1030 experience, around 1130, we're having our monthly Connect gathering for all new guests. And we host that in our cafe. We have snacks for you, child care available. But if you want to learn more about Thrive and kind of how do I get connected beyond just the road that I'm sitting in, um, please make sure you attend that. And if you're new with us today, Happy New Year to all of you, and guess what? We're kicking off a brand new series in the book of Nehemiah. I am super excited about this series. I've been uh, preparing for it and studying for it for over a year. Like, we plan a year out, so I get a whole year to process and pray and say, God, what do you want to say uh, to our people as God has been speaking to me? And so go ahead and turn your copy of God's Word to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. And what we're going to do over the next four weeks is talk about how do we rebuild the walls of our lives. Nehemiah had to rebuild the physical wall of Jerusalem. And this new year, you're thinking about things in your life, areas of your life that you hope will be different. And let me tell you, hope is not a strategy. Did you get that? You've got to have a plan. And we're going to look at the strategy of how do you rent build the walls of your life, certain areas of your life, and we're going to use Nehemiah as our blueprint. Uh, about, I'd say, seven years ago, eight years ago now, I experienced something pretty dramatic, and some of you know my story, but I remember my mom giving me a phone call, and mom said I went to the doctor, and um, I got some bad news, and she used the C word, which is cancer. She was a longtime smoker, had smoked for many years, and when she shared that with me, the backdrop of the story was this. She had been seeing a doctor for about three years, who said she had chronic bronchitis. And so the doctor just like prescribed her, you know, some medication to help bronchitis out. Never, she'd been smoking since she was like 16 years old, and never did the doctor say, we need to get a scan, we need to make sure everything's okay. The doctor was like, oh no, you're good. You've got bronchitis. And she said, I was misdiagnosed, so I've actually had cancer for three years, and now it's in stage four, there's not much they can do for me. I remember that call just like it was yesterday. And the thing that always stuck out to me, and, you know, you kind of have this anger that sticks with you. Why didn't that doctor, you know, why didn't? You know, of course, my mom also never pressed the issue. She never said, wait a minute, let me get a second opinion. Because something inside of the human heart doesn't really want to know the honest truth sometimes, right? Because what we will have to deal with. She had told me, she said, yeah, you know, I always thought maybe it might be cancer, but I just didn't want to believe it. Until it actually happened, it was too late. Today, what I want to talk to you about is many times in our life, if we're going to rebuild the walls of our life, it takes us actually have an honest assessment of our life to look at the condition we're actually in instead of sweeping it under the rug. And you're in this hyper um, mentality right now where you're thinking about these things at the beginning of January. 
Like, like you're already thinking about all this, and I want to help you this year to find out what are the things that I need to stop sweeping under the rug and I need to deal with. What are the things that I'm calling bronchitis, which is actually a cancer in my life? Now, Nehemiah, just so you know, the backdrop of him was at a very interesting time in Israel about 2,500 years ago. And the cool thing about Nehemiah was that the, the, the walls of Jerusalem, the temple had been destroyed. Israel had been exiled. You know, so it means they were picking up, taken away by Babylon to Babylonia, and they were serving them. They were slaves because of their disobedience. But all that time while they were slaves and they were going through you know, under Babylon's rule and Babylon's reign, God kept giving them promises. Remember the promise in Isaiah? You've probably heard this if you've been around Christianity. I know uh, um, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. You ever heard that before? You're like, yeah, no weapon. That's not about you. That was actually about Israel and God's plan for Israel to restore them back to Jerusalem with the temple and worship. What about the, remember the promise, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you a future and a hope and all that. And so we just quote that. We just grab onto it. That wasn't written for us primarily. That was written to the Jews. Saying, I know that you're in exile. I know things look really bad. I know that you're slaves to a wicked nation. But God says, I know the plans I have for you. Like, I have this, this, this ultimate plan. And so you go through the Old Testament and you look at all these prophets. They're always telling Israel, hey, look, I have this thing that's going to culminate. And here's what the culmination was to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the walls. And Israel leaves Babylon and comes back and they get to be a nation again. And so Nehemiah is actually part of this big plan. Ezra and Zerubbabel, his contemporaries, are released by Persia. Persia is now taking over Babylon. Persia is a little nicer to the Israelites. They let Ezra and Zerubbabel go back, and they start rebuilding the temple, the Jewish temple for worship. And you know what all the Israelites are thinking? Hey, you remember what Isaiah said? They're like, yeah, I remember that. Man, you remember what Jeremiah said to us? Yeah, it's happening. And they go back and they rebuild the temple. And some Jews are able to start worshiping there again. But Nehemiah sent for some friends to give him some info about what was happening there. He was, at that point in time, this guy was very unique, for he was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. Meaning he was like almost second in command as far as like he tasted everything that came into the king's court to make sure there was no poisons, you know, that the, that the wine was up to standard there for him. So Nehemiah did all that, very close to the king. And Nehemiah sent for some friends to go and find out what is happening in Jerusalem. I want to know what's happening. And so in Nehemiah 1 verse 3, you're going to kind of see what happens here and the information that gets back to him. They didn't have telephones. They didn't have you know, a good system of sending letters and things of that nature. So here's what his friend said to him. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. And watch this here. This is the key for the whole series. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. The Nehemiah speaking in the first person says, When I heard this, I sat down and wept. Because he knew the promises that God had for Israel. This isn't what should be, and this should not and could not be happening to his nation there. It says he wept. In fact, for days, watch this, I mourned, I fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. And I love this part. 
Because if you think that God is not going to answer your prayers because you're not good enough and you've got issues and you've sinned or you're in addiction or something's in your life, I love what happens next. Because Nehemiah wasn't perfect. We don't know how he wasn't perfect, but look what he says here. He says, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family. That's some pretty honest confession to God, right? When's the last time you said, God, yeah, I mean, me and my whole family have just sinned against you. I don't know what that means for you, but he was pretty honest. He says, even I and I have sinned, and we have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, the decrees, and regulations you gave us through your servant Moses. And then look at chapter 3 and the 1 and kind of jump down to there. And it says this, early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. And I love this next part here. This is something that's not part of the message. It's part of the message. He says, I had never before appeared sad in his presence. Nehemiah was an upbeat person, right? He was someone who, who wasn't like, you know, you see some people, and every time you see them, they're like, oh, 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 oh. Uh. you ask your kids to do something around the house? Some of you are like that every day, and you're going to work. How are you doing? Uh, uh, uh. And he was never like that. Like, attitude matters so much. In life, if you want to determine your altitude, change your attitude. And so that's, that's not, you know, it's not part of this message, but it is part of the principles of leadership. That's what Nehemiah, he was excited. He was an upbeat person. It says, so the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, Nehemiah said. But I replied, long live the king. <laughs> As he knew what he was getting ready to ask could be really, really big. It could mean his job because the Israelites were the enemies and slaves of Persia. Look what Nehemiah says. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? And I love this with a prayer to the God of heaven. It's like, have you ever been in a situation where like you don't have time to pray, but in your mind you're like, God, help, <laughs> help. And this is what he does. It's like kind of like he never expected the king to say, well, how can I help you? He's like, God, help, <laughs> quick. <laughs> With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. I don't know what he prayed, but I think it was help. If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And what happens in this book of Nehemiah, which is a historical book, it's not a book of fairy tales. It's not if people say, well, the Bible's just myths. It's just a bunch of, you know, one man wrote it. No, this is actually history. So if you fact check history, this actually happened. And what happens is phenomenal. Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem, and we'll look at this over the next, you know, several weeks. He gets resources from the king. The king actually sends resources to him. He brings a caravan of people, and they rebuild the wall of Jerusalem in 52 days. Now, you say, well, yeah, that's great, 52 days, way to go. Rah, rah, Nehemiah, what's that doing? 52 days is this. And under half the time it should have taken, they got it done. They got the wall rebuilt. And I want you to look at something in this passage today about rebuilding walls. The first thing that Nehemiah had to do to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem was he had to look at the condition of the walls of Jerusalem and be honest about it. 
He wasn't like, oh, yeah, it'd be all right. You know, the gates are burned with fire. The walls are broken down. It's all good. I'm sure God will take care of it. I'm sure God, you know, we'll pray and, and let's just pray. And that wasn't Nehemiah's strategy. Hope wasn't a strategy in this situation. He actually had to look and confront what was really happening in Jerusalem. And I want you to understand as we begin to rebuild walls, as you look at any area of your life, here's the number one thing that I've had to learn. Here's the number one thing that Nehemiah had to learn. And hopefully you'll be able to grab onto this. If you have your notes handy, write this down. This is super key. Rebuilding requires us to confront our situation with a brutal reality. You've got to have a brutal reality of your situation. Confront the brutal reality of that situation. That's what rebuilding requires. It requires you confronting the brutal reality of your situation. And I don't know what area or areas that you've been kind of like sweeping under the rug. I don't know what areas of your life you've been calling bronchitis when it's actually stage four cancer. But if you're ever going to make progress in an area, you've got to say, you know what? This is how bad it really is. And once you get to that point, then you begin to make progress. But many times what we do is we treat our situation like my mom did. For instance, you know, if it's alcohol, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not an alcoholic. But it's destroying your life. It's destroying your family. And I've sat with alcoholics before who just, just drinking themselves to death. It's not that bad. And they tell their spouse, it's not as bad as you think. I was just drinking a little bit. And it's always way worse. That's why I love AA. The first thing you have to do is admit that you're, I'm an alcoholic, right? You have to confess what you really are. You might say, oh, I don't really have an anger issue. I just get a little, little upset sometimes. Just get a little stressed out, you know? The truth of the matter is, just be honest. I have a serious issue with anger, and it's hurting me, and it's hurting my family. It's hurting my job. It's hurting my relationship with God. It could be for you, offense. Ah, yeah, I don't really have an issue with offense, but you get offended all the time, and you bounce from thing to thing and job to job and church to church, relationship to relationship, and you have a serious offense problem, and you keep telling everybody you're fine. See, you may not be the explosive anger one. You're the one who bottles it in, and you stonewall, right? And it's hurting things emotionally. It could be financially that you know that you keep racking up debt. You don't have a money problem. You've got a wisdom problem, right? You know you shouldn't buy that really expensive thing because you've got an electric bill due, but you want that new phone so bad and you get it. <laughs> and then you can't pay bills. And then you're in this cycle of debt and you, and you know that's something you've got to deal with. It could be health. You know, man, if I keep going down this path, it's going to destroy me. It's going to hurt me. I'm, I'm reading a book called Chop Wood, Carry Water about leadership. And it was a fascinating quote yesterday. I, I posted on social media. Happening. So it was, it was, it, and the guy said this in this fable he's sharing, there, this conversation that's happening. He says, so if people know that eating sugary, processed, bad foods, drinking sodas will kill them, why do they do it? And the answer was, was phenomenal. He said, because it doesn't kill them today. So it could be health. For you, it could be your spiritual life. Maybe you just don't have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. And you're looking at your spiritual life. 
And when it comes to reading the Bible and prayer and, and community and all the disciplines of, it, of, of the Christian faith, it's very little for you. And so maybe this year, you just got to be honest and say, man, I've not leaned into Jesus. I come to church, I check my Christian boxes, but I'm not. Le-. See, I don't know where you're at. But every one of us, including myself, have walls or a wall that we need to rebuild this year. That, but in order to do that, you got to confront how bad it really is, how bad that situation really is. And once you're honest about how bad your situation is in your life, then you can begin to make progress. Because here's the thing about rebuilding walls. They had rebuilt the temple, right? And the Jews were worshiping in the temple. But they didn't have the walls rebuilt. And what did walls do in an ancient city? It kept the enemy out. Some of us are always ravaged by the enemy of our souls, right? We're all, you know, there's always attacks. There's always things happening. And you're wondering, why does this always happen? Can I just submit to you? Maybe because you haven't rebuilt walls in certain areas, and it's allowing the enemy to come into your life. And you keep ignoring it, and you keep sliding it away, and you say, you know what? The temple's good in my life. I go to church. I do religious things, but I have no walls rebuilt. And it's allowing the enemy to come into your life in areas over and over and over again. I told you hope's not a strategy, right? My dad used to say this. I remember my dad was not a believer, so don't look at me like this. He said, hope in one hand and spit in the other and see which one fills up first. He didn't say spit. You know, he was not a believer, but uh, that's what my dad told me. He said, hope in one hand and spit in the other. He'd always tell me, hope's not a strategy, son. You got to put wheels on it. That's the same way in this new year. We have to do the same thing. But what that requires is something super difficult for us because since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, we have been pretending to be strong. What's the first thing after Adam and Eve sinned, what's the first thing they did? Put a fig leaf on I'm going to try to fix my own problem, handle my own stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't want to invite God into my situation. God already, is no, already knows, guys. <laughs> There's no secrets. And in order for us to get to the place of the brutal reality and confronting that, we have to be honest about weaknesses. and We have to embrace those. I love what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians. This is actually one of my uh, life verses that I've adopted uh, over the past decade of my life. People talk about decades. This one has impacted me more. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, here's what the Apostle Paul says. I mean, you would think he's the strongest Christian that's ever lived, right? He has made more impact ever. If you've never heard of him, he's made impact in your life. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Now, here's what he says. He says, even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now, time out real quick. We don't know what that, that thorn is. We have no clue what the thorn in the flesh was. Now, you may say, oh, here's, I, I, I really don't care what your, you know, your thoughts are about it because I've read every scholar's thoughts, and we don't know. First rule of biblical interpretation is what? Be only clear as the Bible is clear, and it's not very clear. Some say it was, it was an eye problem he had, and that's why he had people write letters for him. Some say that it was the Jews. That was the thorn in his flesh. Some say that he was not a great public speaker, as he had said before. The people said he was weak in appearance. We don't know. And here's what I know about this. I personally am grateful that we don't know because it can apply to every one of your situations in your life. And you can actually see the realness in the Apostle Paul. Look what he goes on to say here. I love this. 
He says, uh, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. What are you begging God to take away in your life? Three different times. Each time he said, my grace is all you need, and I love this. Draw your attention here. He says, my power works best in weakness. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel. Religion is for weak men. Amen. One person got it. Religion's for weak men. You are absolutely right. I am weak, and that's why I need a Savior. He says, my power works best in weakness. So Paul says, so now I am glad to what? Boast about my weaknesses. That's not us. We fig leave our, our weaknesses, don't we? We hide our weaknesses. We don't tell people about our weaknesses. We blame others' weaknesses. We talk about everybody else. We downplay our weaknesses. But Paul said, man, I'm excited. I boast about my weaknesses. Isn't that totally antithetical to what we deal with in our society, in our life? That's like totally upside down. When's the last time you boasted about your weakness to people? He says this, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Watch this, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See, here is Christianity. Our good God makes weak people strong, but he can't help people who pretend to be strong that are actually weak. See, he, he will make you strong if you're honest about your weaknesses, if you're honest about the gaps in your wall, if you're honest about where your failure, if you're honest about your situation, then God can help you. And that's what you have to do. So we, we do a next step each week and write this down because this is key. Be honest about your failures instead of blaming others. Be brutally honest about your failures instead of blaming others. Because that's what we do. Five comes to weaknesses and failures. We do that. My, my son is going to be five next month, which is crazy. But this year he's been doing that. So, like, he plays with Legos. And all of you know that Legos will test what we call sanctification. Because once you step on them, you want to speak in another language, right? I was trying to change the heat setting last night and stepped on those little Lego figures. I may have thought something that I should not have. I may have thought a word I shouldn't have. I don't know. It was late at night, but you, maybe you can identify. But what he does, he stepped on one the other day, and he looks, he goes, why did you put that there? I was like, oh, yeah, hey, 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 listen, bro. I said, here's the, yeah, I said, listen, bro, I didn't put that there. You played these Legos, and don't, don't you blame me for, what, for that there. And recently, he got really angry at me. We're trying to play, you know, uh, you know Star Wars with lightsabers, and we're, and we're, you know, wielding lightsabers and all that. And, and so, anyway, we're playing, and he gets, and I'm not playing like he exactly wants me to. He's like, you can't do that as a Jedi, right? <laughs> like, okay, whoa. Excuse me, Master Yoda. So, um, so anyway, it's like he, he's doing that to me, and he gets really angry, and he starts, he, starts, he starts crying. He says, but you made me so mad and so angry. I said, time out. I said, let's have a seat, buddy. Let's talk. I said, I can never make you mad or angry. But you did. You made me so mad. I said, no, no, no. I, I can't. I don't have the ability to. He said, but you, I said, no, no, listen to me. I said, and, and we, we have these little sayings we make up. I said, remember our saying? I can choose my attitude. I can choose my attitude. I said, I don't have the ability to make you angry. Nobody does. It's your choice to respond that way. You can't blame me for that. 
Now, that didn't stop his anger, of course. He still does that. But we had this conversation over and over and over again. And what I'm trying to get him to understand is this. Man, own it. Be brutally honest with it. Some of you, parents, some of you need to stop trying to pretend to be strong in front of your kids and tell them where you're weak at. They need to see a parent that's real. They can identify with and a parent that says, you know what, I've got some issues. There's some conversations my son and I have to have when he gets older about my own life and things that I have failed in and things that I've done. And that's why I'm so honest to you. But where is it in your life that you have to do that? Because here's what we do as human beings, and I've seen this so much in ministry, is we transfer to others. We transfer. So if we have an issue, here's what we do. We begin to deflect and talk about how bad everybody else is to hide what's really happening in our life. Because if we can really just, if we can really talk about everybody else, we can hide what's going on inside of us. That's called transference in a psychological realm. We've taught psychologists. They're transferring. But you will never be able to rebuild the walls of your life if you keep projecting and blaming and doing everything else. There's a point in time you come to a situation you say, I'm going to be brutally honest where, where I'm at. You know, for me, this message is not just something I'm preaching to you because I needed something to preach. This has helped me throughout the years. When I first got married, I, I, I did the finances. Can I be honest with you? I'm terrible with finances. <laughs> That's why we have a team that handles finances, that budgets, because I was overdrafting all the time. I was just, that card, I just, like it was magic. Anybody ever like that, your little debit card? And my wife took over the finance. She said, we're moving to a cash system only. When that cash runs out, you don't have anything. Do not use that card under any circumstance. And our finances have been excellent ever since. I'm just not good at finances. Like, I know leaders who run organizations who are terrible at finances, and they still run the finances. And guess what? It's like, for me, uh, in my life, it was overeating. I love food. I still love food. Some of y'all, like, people gave me cookies for Christmas, and they're like, yeah, but I know you don't eat cookies. But I'm like, no, you don't understand. I will eat some cookies. <laughs> I love food. And so for me, being 50 to 60 pounds overweight on a five-foot-five frame, I was literally, literally killing myself. I was dealing with stress in a very unhealthy manner. I would eat a whole New York-style pizza and drink sodas. And I had to come and say, you know what? This is an issue for me. I had to be brutally honest. And as it keeps going, you know, about five years ago, I had to come face-to-face -face with anger issues that I had. Ever since a kid, I had anger issues. And for a little while, I kind of managed it and hid it. See, when I was a kid, I got in trouble at school all the time. I was the worst student with the best grades. Like, literally, I beat kids up all the time if they did anything I didn't like. I just fought cussed out teachers. I was always in ISS. I was always, you know, all that. Made great grades, but I had an anger issue. And about five years ago, when my son was born, my wife and I hit an impasse. I threw a phone against the wall, and I broke it. Not hers, because she would have beat me to death. Like, number one, I would never, my, my wife would kill me in my sleep if I touched hers. <laughs> I'm just saying, she, don't mess with her. She's Colombian and Italian. Don't mess with her. But I had my own phone, and I did that. And, she, and, and, we, and we talked. She said, I don't know what has to happen. Do, do, do we need to go to counseling, blah, blah, blah. And I come to a point in time. I said, we may have to. I said, but I know this. I said, I've got an issue that I've never dealt with. And it, I shouldn't be like this. And so I had, I, that's a, a, a point in uh, life that I had to come to. See, I don't know what it is for you, but you have an issue that if you're brutally honest about your own weaknesses, you can get better. 
And you can begin to rebuild walls of your life to experience the abundant life that God has for you. I don't know what it is, but I know the Lord has been speaking to you and wants to help you. And so here are three thoughts today that have helped me tremendously I want to help you with. And here it is about rebuilding our walls personally. The first one is this. What we refuse to confront can't be corrected. What we refuse to confront can't be corrected. The first thing you have to do is confront your issue. Confront it. Remember I said you can hope in one hand and spit in the other? Stop sweeping it under the rug. Confront it. Find someone to talk to about it. Maybe it's time to get help in that area of your life. You've got to confront it. The second thing we have to do is understand that rebuilding is a cynicism. Like for me, a lot of times I preach, say like we, we did the whole series on cynicism in December. Remember that? About being coming cynical? I had been processing that for nine months. I can't expect you guys to, to receive it and process it and then live it out within four weeks, right? Rebuilding's a process. Nehemiah rebuilt the wall in 52 days, but it was brick after brick after brick. It was mobilizing teams. It was fighting off enemies and haters and all those things. And you have to realize when you're looking at that area of your life, don't get discouraged. It's a process. And if you'll commit to the process, in five to ten years, you'll look back and say, man, who was that person back then? I don't know who that angry person was back then that I used to be. I just don't know who that person is anymore. Right? Because of the process. Well, what is that for you? And then finally, here's the key. We rebuild based on the vision of what could be and what should be. We rebuild, watch this now, based on the vision of what could be and what should be. That's what vision's based on. And right now in your life, you just have a vision for, for your life, for your finances, your health, your spiritual life, for everything. But it's based on two things, what could be. Could be is this. It's your dream. Man, what could this really look like? What could this really be? You begin to imagine. Nehemiah imagined what could be for the walls of Jerusalem. He imagined it. Knew the promises God gave him in the Old Testament. Like, well, it wasn't his Old Testament. It was his real contemporary life. But then it's what should be. And that's the standard. This is what it should be. This is what I should be. This is what I could be. Where is that in your life? I promise you, if you take these principles that we're teaching you, you can see the walls of your life rebuilt. And for you, I don't know, I'm not promising you this, but it could be in record time. You could accelerate the process of what God wants to do. Amen. If you begin to grab on and say, I'm going to be brutally honest about my life, my situation. I'm going to confront some things this year. I refuse to let this be another year that when I get to the end, I'll say, I'm glad that year's over. I love 2019. I thought it was awesome. Like God did so much in my heart. I pray your 2020 is awesome. I pray that those very things you want to confront, you want to conquer, and you want to deal with, I am praying for you that you'll take this first step. And this week, you're going to confront some brutal realities of your life. You're going to have some honest conversations with yourself and maybe someone else. Because you said, this year will be different. I will not live with broken down walls anymore. I will not live with my gates burned with fire anymore. This will be different for me.
And I know this, if you're going to make that declaration, you're going to need God's help, just as Nehemiah did. So let's pray.